Hey, this is John, and you're listening to the Mosaic Young Adult Podcast. To learn more about Mosaic Young Adults, visit us online at thisismosaic.org forward slash young adults. We hope this podcast is simply part of a greater conversation you have with Jesus. Enjoy the message. We will be reading James 5 tonight, verses 13 through 18. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power and it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain over the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. This is the word of the Lord. You want to carry it? You can't. No, it's okay. It's not going to come till later. Don't worry. Sneak peek. <clears throat> Whoa. This is heavier than it looks. I'm just weak. Good evening, y'all. Oh, I'm so glad they made like a table more my size. Like this is really what I'm talking about. And whoever it is, I'm going to thank them personally. Anyway, tonight... Uh, I'm sad to say this, but we are going to be closing out our series in the gospel. Oh, the gospel. Well, it's not the gospel. The gospel informs this, but it is not the gospel. Uh, the book of James. And I'm sad about this because this is probably one of the most um, convicting uh, and encouraging experiences I, that I've had while teaching through a book of the Bible. And I hope that has also been your experience because it just, I don't know about you, but like every week, it just feels like a spiritual, like, like gut punch from James being like, pew, pew, or however that's supposed to sound, right? Like, ugh. Jesus is better. The gospel's better. Don't be dumb, you know? And I, I just appreciate James because him and I just, like, Jay, like Caleb said last week, like James and I are just really alike, you know? I just, we don't, I like to be straightforward. James likes to be straightforward. And so him and I are just very kindred spirits. But, but we are gonna finish the book of James tonight. And, and I find it interesting that out of all the ways that James could finish tonight's, uh, to finish the, his letter uh, to the early Christians, that he chooses to do it um, by appealing to the church to come back to prayer. And you might have noticed that as you read tonight, like as we read together, as uh, Jen so kindly read uh, the scriptures for tonight, that every single verse that we're going to talk about tonight has in some way or form, pray or prayer. So that, that, that is what James is going to focus on more than anything tonight. He is going to focus on the topic of prayer. And, and now he's calling, the reason why it's so interesting is because he's calling them to pray um, in light of a specific circumstance that these Jewish Christians were facing. If you remember, um, if you've been with us for a while, if you've been here since the beginning of our series, uh, the early Christian church is kind of smack in the middle of what I like to call a suffering sandwich. And so they have Rome on one end who does not like, they do not like uh, the, early, the early church. They don't like Christians at all uh, because 
because the Christians are following after a new king, a king that is not of this earth, a king that belongs to the kingdom of heaven, and his name is King Jesus. And so they deny the lordship of Emperor Caesar. And so Emperor Caesar's like, no, not in my house. And so they're going to now uh, unleash the first wave of persecution against the early church. And so that's the one side of the suffering sandwich. On the other side of the suffering sandwich, you have these rich Jews who do not like the, the Jewish Christians because they have foregone the faith. They said, oh, you don't really follow God. You're following Jesus and he's not God. And so we're gonna punish you for leaving Judaism. And, and they do. And because these rich uh, Jewish, ethnic Jews uh, own much of the land and, and they are in charge of it all. And so these poor Jewish Christians are working for their wages. And instead of paying them their fair due, they withhold it. And so all these Jewish Christians right now are suffering because they're in poverty. They can't buy food. They can't clothe themselves. They can't take care of their family. So in light of all of this suffering, being smack, and, and mind you, they are new baby Christians. Most of them have not been following Jesus for very long. So they're smack in the middle between Rome and these rich Jewish Christians that they're suffering, hoping that God would change their circumstances. And what does James tell them to do? Pray. Now that seems rather insensitive, don't you think? Almost a little tone deaf, right? I, I remember there was a, uh, this, I was talking to one of our pastors, Brady, this past week, and he, he remember, just, just kind of rekindled this memory I had in my mind. And there were, I was, when I was a uh, junior in high school, so I must've been about 16 or 17, I, uh, I was in a car accident uh, with, uh, I, was, I was in the backseat and it was me, my brother, Joshua, and my mother. And we were in the backseat on our way to like, I think a new year service or a Christmas service. I, I can't, I don't really remember fully, um, probably because I passed out. So our, our cab driver went 60 on a uh, like 25 and he hits a double parked car and it goes flying in the air. Like I don't really obviously remember it all, but I remember being in the hospital. Now, mind you, I had never, I'd, you know, I'd seen movies and I'd heard stories and I've played video games and I've seen those things where like, oh, there's a little bit of blood. I have never seen someone suffer that I loved so much before. And I remember... Uh, uh, in the hospital, seeing her right arm broken, her left leg broken, and there's these rods. And uh, my mom is one of the strongest people I know. And, and, and there she is, just, just unable, unable to rise, unable to do anything. She is, she is in bad shape. And then I remember being at home, and, and mind you, again, my mom, the one who had taken care of her family for the bulk of the, for my whole life that I've seen it, she can't even bathe herself because she's in so much pain. And to watch my grandmother come and kind of like try to rinse her off to help her, she couldn't do the basic things. These are the, and, and so imagine, right, if, if in her suffering, I were to go up to her and be like, just pray and it'll be okay. Is that what your response would be? Would you tell my mom to just, just go and, and pray? And this is, this is kind of the tension that we have here. 
Because we have a world that is broken and, and, and it is full of destruction and lots of pain and lots of suffering and lots of desperation. And there is very little confidence in the power of prayer. And as we hear James respond to their suffering, we're like, I don't think James understands that our suffering is a lot and I don't think prayer can meet that need. But here's the thing we have to understand about James. James would have had a front row seat to the effectiveness and the power of prayer. If you've read the book of Acts, you would see that the early church believed that prayer was foundational and essential to the church. And he would have seen the miracles that would have come about because of prayer. And so the disciples of Jesus early on, they would have seen the power of God through prayer and they would have devoted much of their time to prayer. And so James would have heard these stories he would have heard the stories of people being healed through prayer, of, of stories of, of people, be, of demons being cast out of little girls and, and, of, and of adults. And even at some point, Paul prays for someone to be resurrected from the dead. And so the disciples, they did everything in prayer. They didn't do anything without prayer. They, they, when they were changing leadership, they asked prayer. When they asked God, hey God, would you please manifest your power through signs and wonders that people would believe? And there's this one story that I love and it's in, it's in Acts chapter 16 and Paul and Silas, they're spreading the gospel in Philippi and, and it gets them thrown in jail and they're praying in midnight because I guess when you're in jail, what else can you do, right? So they're praying and it's midnight and, and the gates begin to shake. There's an earthquake and the gates for the prison break open. And so the, the, and in, in the sequence of events, you know what happens? They get set free. The jailer who was guarding it comes to know Jesus. He takes them home. Their whole household becomes saved and starts following Jesus, all because Paul and Silas decided to pray at midnight. That's kind of crazy that prayer can do that. And all of that stems from prayer. And so it makes sense that as James is talking to a suffering people, he's like, hey, if you're suffering, go pray. But today it seems that the church has lost its love and confidence in prayer. Because somewhere along the way, the family of God has become convinced that prayer changes nothing. And I know I experienced that. I experienced it just this week in that same conversation with, uh, with our teaching pastor, uh, Brady. I remember I was, uh, there's, there's, some, there's some fun stuff in tonight's text and I was like wrestling with him. I was like, I don't know what this means. Can you help me understand it? And, and we're trying to like go back and forth. And, and, and at some point, I, I, I sense the Holy Spirit convict me and say, hey, Caesar, you don't need to ask Brady. I need you to go on your knees, pray to me and ask me for insight. Brady's great, but I'm God which is fine because I'm teaching on a passage about prayer. So I was like, okay, God, you have a point. So you know what I did? I told Brady, he was like, dude, God's telling you to do it. Go ahead, go do it. And so we leave, we leave I leave the meeting. I go to my desk and I open up my Bible and I begin to pray. And the craziest thing happened. Like, like there was like a glory hole, a glory portal just opened up from the heavens. And truthfully, like my brain was filled with biblical insights that I've never experienced before. And you might be like, yeah, that's super awesome. It didn't happen because I didn't pray. I didn't pray. Actually, I opened up my Bible and just in my own strength, in my own intelligence, I trusted more in that 
than trusting in God, even though he explicitly had commanded me to come in prayer. Because there was a part in my heart that said, prayer changes nothing. And perhaps you're there. Perhaps you've been there. Perhaps you've been praying for long enough and now you are convinced, surely, even if God says he loves me, God will never answer my prayers. Prayer might work for my friend. Prayer might work for this person. Prayer might work for somebody else, but it sure as heck don't work for me. And prayer might have worked for the people in the Bible, but prayer has zero power today. And to all of that, James says no. He calls us back as a church to the practice of prayer. And so the question that we're going to explore tonight is why should the church pray? Let's open our Bibles back up to James chapter four. We'll just start off in verse 13. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. And so notice who James is calling to pray. He says, if you're suffering, what should you do? Pray. If you're cheerful, what should you do? Pray. And I love that he gives these two examples because any one of us could fall into one of these categories. Like he's kind of doing this whole kind of catch all kind of deal. He's saying everyone is on the continuum of doing well or not doing well. So like they're kind of the bookends of the human experience. And that's kind of the point here. James is telling the church, what should they do? Pray. And when should they pray? All the time, in all circumstances. So, so to summarize very simply, what James is saying right off the bat is that Christians are to pray at all times and in all circumstances. And that makes sense. But the question is, why is James calling the church to pray in this way? Why is, why is he calling them to pray all the time? You say, well, let me ask you, think about this for a second. When you're struggling, what is your first act? What do you typically do? Do you turn to prayer? Like, like if, when something bad happens to you, what's the first thing you do? You complain. I mean, if you pray, thank God for you. Follow her as they follow Christ. But, but the rest of us, uh, normal folk, who are trying to be as holy as that folk, we, we don't pray. We complain. Can you believe they said that? Could you believe my boss did that? Like, I don't understand. I thought God would protect me. Blah, 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 blah. God is the worst. People are the worst. And then you just get mad and you get angry and you get bitter because when suffering or bad things happen to you, that is what, this is how we've, we've been taught to respond to bad situations. We just vent. We really just glorified gossiping. And you just talk about your stupid coworker or the friend group that did the dumb thing. But maybe it's more of a serious thing. Maybe you've lost your job. Or maybe you're not able to make rent this morning. What's the first question that you ask yourself? What am I going to do? How am I going to get out of this? Because surely, who is it on? It must be on me. And think about those of you who maybe are like, I don't know, I've made all my bills. And honestly, I got a lot of money in my bank. I'm doing pretty well. And that's you. You're a good young adult. Super good for you. But let me ask you, for those of you who have more than a dollar uh, in your bank account, when's the last time you, asked, you thanked God for the money in your account? 
Or maybe one of you, I don't know how many of you have in a job that you know, gives raises, when the last time you got a raise was your first response. Like you got a raise and you go like, oh my gosh, thank you, Jesus. Because if it weren't for you, I would never have gotten this raise. This is all because of you. Or did you go, oh, finally, they finally noticed all the hours I put in. Oh, thank God, they finally see how valuable I am to the company. You see, the human heart has the tendency in all circumstances, whether good or bad, to forget God, whether it's in our misery or in our joys. And this is why James is telling the church to pray at all times, in all circumstances. It is to remind the church that their posture before God is always to run to Jesus. If you are good, run to Jesus. In the bad, run to Jesus. If you're joyful, run to Jesus. If you're not joyful, run to Jesus. When should you run to Jesus? All the time. And all the time, run to Jesus, right? <laughs> and I love that. Because this is the primary reason as to why the Christian is to pray. The Christian prays to draw near to God for intimacy. But all too often, we treat prayer and focus on prayer for the results. I only go to God when I'm in need. I only go to God to ask him for things. And really prayer becomes, uh, starts to treat Jesus like he's a genie in a bottle. But James says that prayer is about communion with God. And here's why this is important. So this is where many Christians seem to forget or either do not know this, but it is in the place of communion with God where the power of God is manifested. See, the reason for this is because prayer brings us into the presence of God. And when we come to God, he is faithful to be present. James already taught that in, in, in chapter four, verse eight of this same book. And James says that when we draw near to God, what will God do? He will draw near to us. That is a promise. But do you know what comes along with the presence of God? It's his power. You see, because for God, he cannot divorce his presence from his power. Where God goes, his power goes. They're always together. And the psalmist David teaches this in Psalm 27, verse four and five. And I was supposed to put this in my Bible and now you're gonna have to watch me kind of forget where Psalms is. And it's, I know it's in the Old Testament, but I don't always, okay, this is really bad. It's really embarrassing. <laughs> No, I actually did do it. My bad. So Psalm 27, verse four and five. This is what David, the psalmist, King David, uh, during the golden era of Israel, he writes this. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And so in verse four, David is painting this picture of the beauty of being in the presence of God. He said, I'm gonna dwell in the house and I'm gonna gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. I'm gonna inquire in your temple. He's describing being in deep relationship with God just, just to have a conversation with him. When's the last time you prayed just to talk to God? And he, the one thing, look, he just says, one thing. Have any of you ever asked God for just one thing? But this is what David says, one thing I have asked the Lord 
that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. His greatest desire, his most desire is to be in the presence of God for all the days of his life. Why? Well, part of it is that so he could see the beauty of the Lord and to be in relationship with him. But the answer is in verse five. He says, for I want to be in your presence for God will hide me in his shelter. When? In the day of trouble. God will conceal me under the cover of his tent. God will lift me high upon a rock. And David says, I want to be in the presence because in your presence is when I am most safe. When I am with God, I am most satisfied. I am most cared for. I am most protected. I am most safe when I am in the presence of God. And when I am in the valley, God will raise me up when I'm in his presence. Why? Because God's presence always comes along with God's power. If you seek the presence of God, you will eventually experience his power and this comes through prayer. And this is why James tells us to always run to Jesus in your joys and in your problems. Seek the face of God in prayer because God's presence is greater than any joy and is sufficient to help us in any problem. But what can this power actually do? Why is seeking this power worth it? Let's continue reading verse 14 to 16. James says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And so here, James is describing a situation that would be a common occurrence in the life of this church for poor Jewish Christians. Because what happens when you don't have food to eat? What happens when you have no access to medical care? What happens when you get injured and you get cut and you don't have medicine? What happens? You get sick, right? And these are people who already are gonna die pretty early. Like we, the life expectancy now is not the life expectancy then. They were dying as early as in their 30s. I would have been old, right? Like that's like, I, like I would have been on the, on, the, on the lower end, on the higher end. I would have been on the end, okay? I would have been in my life, <laughs> right? <clears throat> and even the rich, they weren't living very long either and they had access to all those things and more. And so James says that when the people in the church get sick, they're to ask the elders for prayer. Why are they asking the elders for prayer? Is it because the elders are the only person that can pray? Because in that case, y'all are messing up because you're praying all the time. But that's not what he's saying. Remember, this is the early church. Most of the Christians didn't have a solid doctrine. Most of them didn't even know the doctrine of Christ. They didn't have a doctrine. They didn't understand the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They didn't yet understand the, the, the power and the gift of healing. They had no idea what to do in their suffering. They're like, I, 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 hey, elders, you're responsible for taking care of me. Can you help me pray? Can you just help me pray to God because I am suffering and, and about to die? And so they call upon these elders. And when these elders come, they're to pray, right? Let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. But you see, this person that James is talking about, he's not like a little sicky. He's like sicky, sicky. 
like, like bad sticky. Like that, that, see, you get this through context clues. This is why like context clues matters. He says, he says, call, James says, call the elders to come to you because you can't get to them. You don't have the strength or, or capacity anymore. Like some, you are sick, sick. And then he says, when the elders show up, they're going to, uh, that the Lord will raise him up. They're to pray over him because this person literally cannot even get off the bed in their own strength. This person is weak, debilitated, in great need, is suffering and is desperate. And so, he said, and so he says, elders, pray for this person who is in deep need and in desperation. Anoint them and pray in the name of the Lord and the Lord will raise them up. Now, what does that mean? Has anybody lost someone due to sickness? Perhaps you've heard it some, in some churches that if the reason they were not saved, the reason they were not healed is because y'all just didn't have enough faith. Now this is, this is a pretty highly debated text. This is, the, this is where I went to Brady because I was like, uh, is this saying that? Because I'm not comfortable with that. I don't think that's true. And it's not that I'm uncomfortable with it. I just don't see it play out in scripture. So how do you, how do you make sense of this? And so the, the, the reason why this text becomes so highly debated is because we treat it as if though it's a formula for healing. If you pray in faith, you will be healed. If you have something bad happen in your life, if you have enough faith, it will get rectified. So if you broke and you got enough faith, guess what you're gonna be? Rich. Any broke people here? Awesome. It's because you don't have enough faith. No, that's not why. I mean, there's probably a lot of reasons, but I don't think it's the faith is the reason for that. And so what is he saying here? He's saying it's not about healing. That's not the focus here. The focus that James is having, is, is, is having the reader focus on is on prayer. He's saying something about the nature of prayer. And so he tells the elders that when they pray, and this is where, this is where the, the crux of it all, the central point of this all, he says, when you pray, you are to pray for that person in the name of Jesus. This is what he wants us to know. He says to pray in the name of Jesus is not a magic formula to get God to do whatever you want. Sometimes you, and some, there's some places that believe that, that just, this is not what the scriptures say. Praying in the name of Jesus means this, that we are able to go to God with any request, relying on his power and manifest his power in our needs because we get to come to him through Jesus. So in other words, prayer taps into the power of God. This is what he's saying. So when you pray, you are tapping into the power of God. You are to depend on this power. What, because why? What kind of power does God have? It's resurrection power. It's the power that can make the dead come to life. It's the power that can make enemies of God into children of God. It's the power that when Jesus was dead for three days, raised him up on the third day for the salvation of humanity. It's the power that can cast out demons. It's the power for salvation. It's the power for healing. It's the power. Listen, this is the power upon which the Christian is to rely on because the Christian on their own has no real power, but with God becomes powerful. See, the church is to be dependent on the power of God. But what happens so often, and you'll see this in big churches and small churches and medium-sized churches, the, 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 the power, people believe, is in the systems. 
It's, it's, in, the, it's in the methodologies. How, how, how amazing can we make the worship experience? I just want to tell you something right now. When you come on a Sunday morning and you enjoy the donuts, you enjoy the apple squeezies, the yogurts, even that's for the kids, but you would take them anyway. When you have the coffee, when you wait online. See, Mosaic doesn't do that because they think there's power in that. We do that because we believe God is generous and we want to be generous. So I just want you to know, nobody here at Mosaic is going to say we do that because we believe that that's where the power is. But here's the thing. On Sundays, if you feel like a church doesn't have the power of God, because it doesn't have those things, you're really mistaking us to why we come to church. You're really mistaking what it means to be in the presence of God, because really the reality is we come to God to be face-to-face with the one who saved us, upon which we can experience and call upon his power. The church is to be dependent on the power of God, and not on the worship experience, not how amazing the band is, not how crafty Renault is in his sermon. It is simply on the power of God. But the temptation is that as we, as people, when in the worst of times and the best of times, we tend to turn to ourselves. We become dependent on our own power. And this is the narrative we sell ourselves to all the time. Like, like this is no flack against Disney, but like every Disney movie is, where's the magic? In you. It's the heartbeat behind every underdog movie. It's every rags to riches tale. But the truth is that there is a deficiency to the human power. We as humans are not as powerful as we would like to be, but there is one who is. And his name is Jesus. And it is his power upon which the church relies on. And the beautiful part of all of this is this, is that God allows us to partner with him in prayer, that we actually get to ask God and have him pour out his power through us. And this is what the world needs today. It needs spirit-filled, spirit-empowered Christians that display the power of God so that people would turn to God. It is not for our glory, but for the glory of God alone. And before you just sign off and say, I don't really think that's worth much of anything. Let me tell you the story of this man named John Knox. John Knox was a Scottish pastor in the 16th century, and he had such a love and zeal for the Lord that he devoted most of his time to preaching and prayer, preaching and prayer, preaching and prayer. And his heart was that all of Scotland would come to faith in Jesus, but there was someone who stood in the way, and that was uh, Mary, Queen of Scots, who's also known as Bloody Mary, because she was a Catholic, and, and she wanted to kill all the Protestants so that Scotland would be a Catholic nation, not a Protestant nation. And if you don't know which one you are, uh, if you come to non-denominational church, you're part of the Protestant history, so this is your history. And so John Knox, he was out there preaching and praying, preaching and praying. He fully relied on the power, and the, on the power of God and the power of the gospel. And, 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 and Mary was out here killing Protestants, left and right, just, you're dead, you're beheaded, I'm gonna kill you. And, and, this, and he's, she's just killing everyone. But, but this is what she says about John Knox, okay? This is one man, one man. This is what she says about him. I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the assembled armies of Europe. This is a woman on the flip of a dime. She decimated thousands of of, of, of Protestant Christians. But she looked at John and said, I fear you more than anybody else 
but it wasn't John she feared. It was the God to whom he prayed to that she feared. See, the only reason that John Knox was full of power was because God gave him that power. And I pray that this could be said about our ministry, about this young adult community, that we would pray in such devotion to Jesus, that we would call and depend upon God, that truthfully, in the same way where it says that the demons tremble at the presence of Jesus, that Jesus would be such a present reality in this space, that, that truthfully, demons would tremble when they hear the Christians at Mosaic Young Adults pray, because they know that we pray in dependence upon the power of God. That people would know this place to be a place of transformation and change because we depend and call upon the power of God. That healing, that restoration and redemption would happen because we rely and depend on whom? On the power of God. And if I can't finish with that, I'm gonna finish with one more. Because really though, the question that's, that's looming over this all is, okay, I, I, can, I can pray, I pray, the church prays to be in communion with God so that I could be in the proximity to his power and, 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 and then the, the, the church prays so that it can have access to that power. But the question is, who gets, who, who, whose prayer does God's answer? Anybody have any, un, any unanswered prayers? Anybody? Cool, me too. Actually, that's not true. God does answer every prayer. This is not always with a yes. And so when that happens, you're like, why bother praying? Why would I pray to a God who says no? Now, this isn't in the text, but just as a little bit of pastoral wisdom. Just because we pray for it doesn't mean we need it. Just because we think we need it doesn't mean it'll be for our good. For not every good thing is a God thing. And sometimes we get so wrapped up uh, tying our prayers, thinking that we need the good thing when we need the God thing. And that's what he's ultimately getting at here. Here he talks about, here, let's read verses 16 through, uh, the second half of 16 through 18. It says, the prayer of a righteous person has great prayer, has great power as it is working. It says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. And so he's saying right off the bat, whose prayers does God answer? The righteous person. Well, anyone feel pretty righteous today? So now, righteous is, 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 a, is a moral standing. It's a person who is in right standing with God, who's in perfect standing with God. Does anyone feel like they're in perfect standing with God? Like you feel like you haven't done any sin today? Like you feel like you're 100%, like 150% holy? Maybe not. And so we read this verse and we go, man, God surely won't answer my prayers. Now, now I understand why God tells me no. It's because it's not righteous enough. But that isn't what James is saying. Well, he is saying he listens to the prayer of the righteous. The question is, who is righteous? Well, according to the scriptures, the people who are righteous, the one who are in right standing with God are those who have placed their faith in Jesus because it is Jesus is the only one through his blood and through his sacrifice that he is able to cleanse and make the person one with God. 
He's able to make him righteous before God, make him in right standing with God. So this is what James' ultimate point here is. He's saying, Who, whose prayers does God hear? Guys, it's you. It's you. Do you pray in such a way with confidence and belief that God hears you? Because what James is saying is you pray in such a way knowing that God hears you. If you are a new Christian and have no idea how to pray, God hears you. If you've been a Christian for your whole life, God also hears you. If, you've, if you have given yourself over to sin time and time again because of Jesus' perfection, God hears you. If you are feeling weak and debased and, and, and unable to pray, God, God hears your prayer. Like, like whether you're on whatever spectrum, whatever excuse and reason you can give for God to not hear you, the scriptures say God hears your prayers. Every single one of them. And he uses this example. He says, Elijah. Now, Elijah was an Old Testament prophet. And he was known as a man of prayer. And this guy, like if you looked at his life, you'd be like, man, I wish I could have done and seen what he did. Elijah was a man who, was, who, who in prayer resurrected a dead boy to life. Uh, he, he was such in tune with God that uh, there's this moment. It's, I mean, the Old Testament is so freaking cool. Like I'm surprised there's not more movies about it because it's just amazing. And so there's this moments, right? Where, where these, these false prophets, the Israel turned away from God and, and, they, and they're following this false God named Baal and they have these prophets. And, 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 and I don't even know what came over Elijah, but Elijah was like, I woke up and I chose violence. I'll meet you at 3 p.m. on the top of this mountain and your God and my God are gonna have a fight. And they showed up and he showed up. And there's like all these hundreds of, of prophets and there's one Elijah. And all these people, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know, I, I don't think people do this anymore, but like schoolyard fights. I, when I was growing up in New York, we did that. And so you've got these two guys and everyone circled around and they just, they just chant whoever thought they'd win. They never chanted for me. So anyway, so they fight. And he, said, and, and he says, whoever can consume what's here, whichever God can consume this in fire, wins. And the false prophets are praying, they're cutting themselves, blood everywhere. It's pretty gross. And nothing happens. Elijah builds his altar. He calls upon the name. Of, he calls upon the name and power of God, and God descends on fire and consumes everything. It's pretty freaking cool, man. And yet he doesn't give any of those examples here. The example he gave is that he prayed that rain would stop. And the reason he prayed is not because, and the reason God answered him was not because he was a prophet. He said, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, meaning he's just like you and me. There was nothing special about Elijah that made God listen to him. And he prayed and God answered that prayer. And the simple principle is this. You do not have to be some kind of super Christian, holy Christian, 
devoted Christians. I mean, those things are important, trust me. You want to spend the rest of your life following Jesus in deep devotion and intimacy with him. But that's not why God answers prayers. God answers prayers because he listens to the needs of his children. And some of you have given up on praying because you're convinced that God does not care for you. Some of you have just given up saying, I guess I'm just gonna be addicted for the rest of my life. I guess my mom or my dad will never come to know Jesus. I guess, I guess, I guess that God won't move. And James here is not saying that you will get the results you want, but he does hear and listen to your prayers and he will move in your lives. And therefore we should begin as a church to pray in confidence. You see what James has been trying to communicate this whole time is that the church, when it prays, is the most powerful it will ever be. Because when the church prays, it's in the presence of God. And that when the church prays, it can call upon the power of God. And when the church prays, it can have confidence that God will hear and answer. So he says, pray, pray, and pray. But this is not where it ends, and nor should it end here because then it makes it about you. It makes it about your ability to pray. It makes it upon your ability to get him to hear you. It makes it seem like you have to just do more, convince him more, and be more, but this is not the gospel. Hebrews 4 says that because of Jesus, we are able to come to God on on his throne of grace confidently, knowing that and upon his throne of grace we will receive his great mercy and power. This is what John Owens says about our relationship with the Father through Christ. He says, Christ intercedes on our behalf in prayer, mind you, not only in respect of our sins, but also our sufferings. And when the work of our afflictions is accomplished, we shall have the relief he intercedes for. The father always hears him and we have not a deliverance from trouble, a recovery of health, ease of pain, freedom from any evil that ever laid hold upon us, but it is given us on the intercession of Jesus Christ. Here's what this is saying. If you do not know this, Jesus prays for you. Jesus on his throne as the right hand of the Father, serving as the high priest over the church of Jesus Christ for all time, from now before and forevermore, he prays for you. And because he prays for you, he gives you access to the Father. And he takes your prayers and says, Dad, Your children need your power. So would you move in great power and hear the needs of your children? And you know the only person whom the father has never denied? It's Jesus. 
Your prayers are powerful, not because you're holy or because you've mastered the Bible, not because you've been a Christian for one year or 10 years or 50 years. Your prayers are powerful. The church is powerful in prayer because Jesus takes your prayers and makes sure without a shadow of a doubt, dad will listen. Your prayers are always heard and answered by God. And so if you stand here today and say, I feel too weak in strength or ability. I don't have enough faith today. Jesus, make sure the Father hears your prayers. If you've come here and you've, like the listeners of, of James, and you've given yourself over to money and wealth and status and sex and pleasure and self-pleasure and all these things, saying go to God in prayer and Jesus will make sure the Father hears it. I just wanna finish with this one thing and, and, and I wanna be careful here because what you might hear me saying is God will always answer with a yes and that's not what the case is. God sometimes answers with no and sometimes God says wait. But God will always answer your prayer of need. He will always come to your aid in one way or another, and Jesus assures that. I don't know how you feel about the gift of healing, and I don't know what your theology says about the gift of healing. I'm not sure what, if you've experienced, if you even believe that healing can happen or that God answers audacious prayers like Elijah's. When Elijah prays for the rain to stop for three and a half years, that's a pretty bold and epic prayer. But there was a man who came to the prayer wall on a Sunday. And he came up to me, and this is his walking stick. So he made it, which I thought was pretty cool. I was like, oh, he's like Moses. He goes, no, my back is broken. I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. At this point, you need to know, I say a lot of dumb things. And yeah, he came up. He's like, hey, brother. I don't know how to do this, but my back is broken. And every day I wake up in pain. Every day, no matter how much medicine I take, no matter how many doctor visits I take, I'm just always in pain. I just want, I want it to stop. And there was a part of me, I was like, okay, that's a pretty big order. But let's pray. And it was a simple prayer. I prayed. I asked him to pray. He starts crying and I start crying. It's real like, I'm like, I don't know what's happening. So he, we finished praying. And he just hugs me, kisses me. And I'm like, okay. On the cheek. And he's just like, thankful. It's nothing weird. And he just starts walking around the church. He starts walking around the sanctuary. Have you ever been there? It's just like this big old thing. And he's just, I just see him going. And he's just walking around. <laughs> I'm just like, what is this guy doing? And like, I'm trying to pray for other people, but I'm looking and he's just, he's just going, he's just going. And then he, then he leaves. And I was like, man. In my heart, I was like, God, I really wanted you to answer his prayer. And so God says, go after him. I said, okay. So I go after him. I was like, hey man. 
not in pain anymore. And I'm like, what? He's like, yeah. I've woken up every day for years with pain in my back. And it wasn't until today. God took it away. And so he handed me his stick and I have it at my desk every day to remind me that God still answers prayers. Yeah. <laughs> that God still answers prayers. Praise David. Praise be to God. And I don't know whose story that is for. And I don't know whose faith needs to be emboldened today. But God wants you to know the church is most powerful. The Christian is most powerful when it prays because it depends on the power of God. So pray confidently. And so as a, as a ministry, we have decided we believe the scriptures to be true, that we are to call to pray at all times and all circumstances, that if you got some time, pray. If you got little time, still pray. If you got no time, try to make time to pray. And so uh, next week, uh, we're gonna have a prayer and worship night. Like, I just want you to understand like, the craziness of just the sequence of events. Even though I'm in charge of the teaching schedule, I didn't even know that tonight was gonna finish about prayer. And we kind of just had mapped this out where, where we, would, uh, we, we decided, oh, you know what, when's a good time to have a prayer and worship night? Oh, let's do it to finish the series. Okay, cool. And not knowing that... God was going to have us do a teaching on the power and beauty and amazingness of prayer to God. And so uh, then we decided, man, what's another way we can invest in this? And we said, man, December 31st, we're going to do a prayer and worship night. We're going to consecrate ourselves and pray to the Lord that he would meet us in this place. And, and we would ring in the new year, praying and worshiping and in praise and thankfulness to God and asking him to move. And then we would, we said, you know what, what's one more way we can step into this further? Now, now I'm sharing this because because I want you to hold us accountable to this. But in the spring, we are going to have a monthly prayer and worship night because we believe that what young adults need is to have a space in which they can cultivate and learn how to pray. Be in prayer to God because we believe God still answers prayers. And so we're not gonna just say, hey, come to the prayer wall after the gathering and just pray. We're still gonna do that, but we're gonna say, let's pray more. We're gonna we're just going to give ourselves more to prayer. And listen, we're not the only ones doing this. Mosaic Church as a whole, if you're part of this church, just know in 2024, if you think we pray too much now, you should probably go somewhere else because we're going to start praying even more because we truly believe God moves in through his people in prayer. And we're going to pray. And we're going to pray and we're going to pray some more. And so here is my challenge to you this week as you leave this space, and we're actually gonna practice this now, but, but, but beyond this space, here's the only challenge I'd give to you. The thing that you have stopped praying for, the thing that you believe that God would surely never answer, the thing that you said God just doesn't care about this, whatever it is, I want you to pray about it every day leading up to our prayer and worship night. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to ask you, that at, at that prayer and worship night, you're going to pray together. You're going to share with someone, this is, the, this is the thing that I've been praying for. Would you join me in prayer? We're going to bathe that in prayer. And I'm not saying that, that you will get a yes. What I'm saying is, will you trust God to move in your life and as he sees fit? Will you trust and depend on the power of God in your life? That is my challenge to you this week, whether it's an addiction 
Listen, let me just tell you, I, 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 and I'm, I don't even, I'm just gonna tell you, as someone who is addicted to pornography for more than my, most of my life, since I was 12 to well into my 20s, it was when I came to God in prayer, exposing it, laying it out before him. The things that most plagued me, my shame, my guilt, my anxiety, my worries, the things that enslaved me most was alleviated and because I brought it to the feet of Jesus. I don't like sharing that story all too often because it's not fun, but I have to tell you because God answers prayers. God answers prayers. God wants to move in your life. Let's pray. God, we just lay ourselves out before you. And we just ask that you would help us trust you and have faith in you. We just ask that you would help us see and trust in you in prayer. I pray that you would give us the gift of faith, that you would help us pray audacious prayers, that we would just lay it out before you, that everything is on the table for you, that there is nothing that you cannot do. Lord, we need you. God, I pray that you would help young adults believe and trust that the church is powerful when it prays because it prays to a powerful God. Help us believe there's no limitation to you. God, I pray tonight that, that, you would answer, that you would begin to answer prayers that have for a long time been silenced. God, we pray that your power would be poured out in this space. Just reminded of the encounters that the people in the scriptures had with Jesus, Lord, with you. Sometimes you answer just the simplest prayers. Sometimes the best prayer is a simple prayer that says, help me. And in compassion, you moved. So would you help us even in our simple prayers, Jesus? Even if we don't even know how to pray, even if we don't know what to ask for, help us turn to you and trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks again for spending some time with us on the Mosaic Young Adults podcast. Our hope for you is that Jesus will use this message you just received and direct your heart completely towards him. If you want to hear more messages like this one, please feel free to check out our past episodes and subscribe so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes.